Imagine That Studios and Karu Studios in association with Harper Voyager Books presents Tales from the Archives, Volume 2 The official anthology of the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences Oh dear, I think I should take this case file, Miss Braun. Snatching something is very rude. I thought you above all people would know that, Wellington. Miss Braun, I think you should let go! Before you... Oh. Oh. Rip it. I say, Wellington, what file is this in two lovely pieces? Just a case file involving a theatre. Knowing your hatred of all things that bend in that direction... You are referring to that business at the opera, I take it. Well, you did rather bring the house down, as it were. I'll have you know, I enjoy a good bit of music hall. It's just opera I can't stand. Hmm. This seems rather familiar. I vaguely recall helping the director one night. It's all a bit blurry. I think he just wanted some backup on this one. How strange. The life of a field agent is usually one giddy whirl. Yes, indeed, Welly. Let me look it over and see if this jogs my memory at all. Curtain Call by Sean Farrell Lenore's spectacle was unlike any theater Cordelia had ever seen. Her mother, a struggling actress, raised her among dreamers and wannabes and, on occasion, men and women of otherworldly talent. Most of those theaters were scattered across the Northwest and resembled little more than cobbled together scrap heaps, with old sheets serving as stage curtains. However, this playhouse was truly resplendent. The smell of fresh paint, the glow of ruby carpets, the bustling of upper-class elite, draped in fine suits and gowns and shawls and jewelry, with teeth and nails aglow under crystal chandeliers. Ticket, please? The attendant tore the sliver of paper and returned it without a second glance. Cordelia stepped into the foyer and snatched a glass of champagne from a nearby server. The excitement and terror of the moment made her shiver. She had longed for adventure, and the unexpected letter from her father... Asking her for help was a welcome invitation, an olive branch to a life beyond the stage-dwelling ghost of her mother. Father abandoned them years ago, and for what? Adventure. Annual birthday and Christmas letters boasted tall tales of sea ships and ancient ruins and treasures lost to history. Self-deluded fool, her mother would gasp between whiskey shots. She drank most on holidays. Fancies himself a scientist. He lives on whores and opium, you bet your sweet tits on that. But this letter was different. Father needed her. There was something about this newly constructed theater, which had sprouted almost spontaneously on the abandoned backcountry of Sutton's Ranch. In an artifact he had tracked from the Amazon that required investigation, real espionage stuff, he had promised. Sipping champagne, she took in the massive foyer adorned with paintings and sculptures, a scene from Hamlet caught her eye. It depicted the young lord crouched low, a skull cradled in perfectly formed fingers. She leaned forward, stared into his eyes, and Hamlet looked back. Cordelia. Do you like it? Cordelia jumped, sloshing her drink. Uh, quite a piece, she said, struggling to regain her composure. He bowed. I'm honored. 
Oh, did you? Cordelia laughed a bit too loudly. She covered her mouth. Forgive me, uh, where did you perfect your technique, Mr. Fitzroy, he said. Charles Fitzroy. Lois Pentagrew, Cordelia said, extending her hand. He took it, paused for effect, and lightly kissed her fingers. Damn it all if the touch of his lips didn't send a tingle down her spine. Pleasure, Mr. Fitzroy. The pleasure is mine. But please, only art students desperate for an apprenticeship call me Mr. I much prefer Charles. Very good, then, Mr. Fitzroy. She walked away, putting a little extra sway in her hips. This Charles was a distraction she couldn't afford. Her father's letter hadn't specified how he would find her. Would she even recognize him after all this time? Miss Pentagrew! Fitzroy practically jumped in front of her, but she didn't startle this time. As a fan of my sculpture, please allow me to introduce you to my latest piece, commissioned by Miss Lenore herself. He turned, arm angled out, expecting her to lock her own with his. She was about to decline the invitation. Lenore? Of the spectacle, perhaps Charles was her magic ticket to discovering the source of father's ambition. At the very least, Charles might provide enough information to convince dad and the Dr. Sound character he spoke about in his letter of her value. Cordelia took his arm and squeezed it so her breasts brushed across him. Hardly ladylike, but his sudden inhalation evidenced the desired effect. As long as she kept him off balance, he would never suspect her true intent. Lead the way, Charlie dear. He blushed and started toward the auditorium. They passed the auditorium and turned down a hallway that eventually ended in a room just as grand in both setting and scope as the main foyer. But instead of housing five or six sculptures, this one featured dozens, all arranged on pillars of marble. Fitzroy guided Cordelia around scenes from Faust, Gulliver's Travels, The Song of Roland. The last displayed particular skill, Roland's temples bursting, the elephant falling from his lips. Do you like it? Amazing. She reached out to touch Roland's face. Not that old thing, this. Fitzroy tugged her, breaking the trance. She turned and instantly fell to her knees. The room spun. Her ears buzzed with every insult mother had ever hurled at absent father. All of her dreams and desires and hopes and would-be achievements coalesced into a single shard of ice, piercing her very core. Ages might have passed in the solitude of her horror, and she trembled. Oh, how she trembled. Cordelia inhaled sharply and moaned. She felt the shaking within subside to gentle ache, the fear and terror morph into rage. Does it displease you? Fitzroy said. She blinked hard, convinced the statue would change if she just looked away because surely her imagination deceived her. But no, father stood erect, encased in stone, goggles perched atop a leather flight cap jacket frozen in wind, a book in his left hand and a minigun in his right, butted into his armpit for support, a jetpack strapped to his shoulders and a snarl of victory on his thin lips. And, much like the depictions of Roland and Hamlet, he stared right through her. How? Fitzroy examined the sculpture. Well, it takes time. I had the stone shipped from Italy. I needed a very large piece, you see, and I needed something with lots of color variation. Unable to quell her terror or rage any longer, she ran, her heart drumming in her ears. She knocked down an old man, threw aside a champagne tray, 
and heaved open the front door to step into the blessed release of Lenore's spectacle. Ticket, please, Cordelia shuddered. She was trapped. Though Cordelia never quite shared her mother's passion for the stage, she had played parts before audiences large and small. She had sung and danced. She had wailed and laughed with hysteric glee. She was good, damn good. Just not passionate about the process or the feel of a thousand eyeballs on her body. Being a spy, blending in, working invisibly to change the world. Now that, she had thought, would be exciting. Dear God, what she would give for a script in an audience now. But as she stood there, something inside flickered to life. Ill-prepared she may be, but she would find her father. She would find the artifact. This place would not beat her. And her mother's voice echoed that classic cliche in the back of her mind. The show must go on. Ticket returned, she re-entered the foyer, and once again looked directly into Hamlet's eyes. Oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt, thaw, and resolve itself into a dew. Oh, that the everlasting had not fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Oh, God, oh, God, how weary, stale, flat, and unprofitable seemed to me all the uses of this world. She whispered, Murder most foul, as in the best it is, but this most foul, strange, and unnatural. Marvelous, isn't it? Fitzroy. Cordelia grabbed his hand and pulled him down the hallway beyond the auditorium. She stopped well short of the statue room and planted a palm on Fitzroy's chest. His head smacked with a satisfying thud. Did you kill my father? Madame, please unhand me. I don't know your father, but I believe a doctor is attending tonight if you require medical attention. Cordelia backhanded Fitzroy. The ruby ring of her middle finger left an instant whelp on his right cheek. She gauged her position, staggered her feet. Relaxed her shoulders and angled her torso. Leverage, position, and plenty of stage stunts made her more than capable of taking this would-be Rodine. Really, madame, you have taken the charade too far. Fitzroy rubbed his face and tears welled in his eyes. Cordelia hesitated. Perhaps she had misread Fitzroy. What if he were also a victim of this place? If not, he was a great actor. She needed to salvage the situation, presuming he knew Lenore... Fitzroy may still be her best chance at finding her father in the mysterious artifact. Oh, you're right, Charlie, forgive me. Cordelia took a half step back, then, trusting her instincts, she leaned forward and kissed the mark on his face. His body stiffened as her lips graced his cheek. She lingered a moment, releasing hot breath down his neck. Just tell me one thing, darling, then I'll leave you alone. You deserve better, after all. You're a strange woman, he said. All right, what is it? The statue of... The pilot? How did you do it? Where did you get the image? What statue? He seemed genuinely perplexed. The one in there! She pointed down the hallway, except the hallway was gone. Mere feet beyond her outstretched finger stood a featureless wall. Cordelia stumbled back. No, there was a hallway and a room, a grand room. You showed me. She felt his hand on her shoulder, gentle, distant, like an apparition from beyond the void. Fitzroy said something. What? She said. Oh, uh, Cor, uh, um, Lois Pentagrew. Well, Miss Pentagrew, the show is going to begin in about ten minutes. Why don't you join me for drinks in my box suite? I have plenty of room, and you can gather yourself safely there. She felt herself nod, and her body responded on its own accord. Her mind was too busy trying to piece everything together to make sense of that which was nonsensical. They walked back through the lobby 
and started up the stairs. Drink, sir? Fitzroy waved at the man now standing by the open curtain. Champagne, the house best, if you would, George. Cordelia sat, using the opportunity to survey the theater. It possessed unexpected intimacy. The balcony was positioned stage left to five other boxes, all of which were empty. Most of the general seats were already filled and conversation hummed. Fitzroy sat next to her. I believe I've earned an explanation. After all, I am extending every courtesy after you assaulted me. I would have thrown you out if you weren't so distraught. George returned and extended a silver tray before them. Fitzroy took both glasses, and George left straight away. Uh, cheers, Miss Pentagrew, to uh, an interesting night at the theater. They cleaned glasses and drank sparkling wine. Despite her better judgment, she indulged a second sip. Charles seemed innocent enough. She had completely misjudged the man. Can I ask you a question? Cordelia said. Do you know the owner of this theater? He raised an eyebrow, but he answered. She never misses a show. Really? Of course. How else could she siphon spiritual energy from these unsuspecting ninny-ammers? Most of them will stumble home and never recover. Their memories half forgotten, their personalities mostly intact but altered in ways that will destroy families, alter religious beliefs, sexual preference perhaps. Miss Lenore is so very hungry. Cordelia slumped back in her chair. The room spun. Perspiration dripped down her face, and she breathed in shallow gasps. Fitzroy snatched the glass before it slipped from her limp fingers. He hushed her, dabbed a tissue on her neck, lowered his hand to her breasts. She tried to stop him, to cave his smug little face in, but her body refused. He giggled, slipped his hand under her dress. Not bad, he said. Not quite what I hoped for. You do flaunt your charms, Cordelia, but you shouldn't have lied about your name. And you shouldn't run. You did escape, you know, but the source compelled your return and erased the memory of leaving. I don't know why you were able to open the door at all. Perhaps you're somewhat immune to its power. As was your father. How easily you came up here, though, accepting my drink. He caressed her nipple, smiled as it swelled under his finger. Then he removed his hand and sniffed his fingers. So undeniably delicious. He positioned her body so she could see the stage. Though immobile, her mind was sharp, fueled by adrenaline, but it seemed to float independent of flesh. What if this was permanent? What if she was his next sculpture, damned to a life of immovable observation, watching thousands of souls willingly embrace their own demise? Oh, Daddy, what have you gotten me into? Fitzroy's lips pressed against her ear. Now, Miss Ryder, pay very close attention. The lights in the auditorium dimmed and the audience settled in. Fitzroy pulled aside wooden panels from the front of the luxury box, revealing complex mechanical consoles. Below, music played. The audience clapped. Fitzroy lifted a section of carpet and twisted a combination lock. The gears within clicked and swirled. A podium rose from the floor. It featured a massive lever and stopped at waist height with a puff of steam. Then Fitzroy removed a key from the interior of his boot. It was easily the length of his forearm, with a dozen sharp teeth and what looked like an amber-encased spider on the hilt. He jammed the key into a slot near the lever, twisted, and drove it down. Various sections across the mechanical board rose in clouds of steam. Gears spun, locked into place, releasing more controls and devices. Fitzroy bustled from panel to panel. He looked giddy as he twisted knobs, pulled levers, and flipped switches. 
Below, the music reached crescendo. Cordelia took a moment to observe the auditorium. The stage was empty, but the audience sat mesmerized, their faces slack, their eyes wide with anticipation. Now, my dear, watch center stage. He grabbed the lever on the podium and yanked it with a flourish. A section of stage fell away, and another podium, similar in design to the one in the box but three times as large, rose from the depths of Lenore's spectacle. Cordelia noted the controls, various levers and switches, two clocks, a display of streaming numbers spinning wheels. But all of that was just so much dressing. What really mattered, based on the design, was the elevated glowing device in the center console. A naked woman appeared on stage. She was tall, her long white hair laying flat across her shoulders, covering her breasts. She looked impossibly thin, her bones pressing against tight skin. High cheekbones protruded from gaunt cheeks, but her eyes brimmed with life. She looked at Fitzroy. He cranked the lever on his podium back and forth at a frantic pace. The machinery and the box whirled. Steam exploded everywhere. Then, throughout the auditorium, consoles opened in walls and the floor and the ceiling, releasing steam, filling the entire cavern of the playhouse. The woman on stage put her hands over the center console. The device exploded with light. The audience screamed. Cordelia had never heard such an unnatural, otherworldly, mind-numbing shriek. On stage, the woman blossomed. New muscle smothered fragile bone. Her breasts swelled, pushing aside white hair that, while retaining its color, now gleamed with fresh virility. She laughed and flexed her knees. Removing the device from the podium, she raised it high over her head. Fire surged through the auditorium. Flame melted Cordelia's eyes, singed her hair, boiled her blood until her heart exploded. She couldn't scream, couldn't move, couldn't think. She knew nothing but agony and an intense longing for death. And as quickly as it sparked, the fire receded, leaving Cordelia a gasping fish bereft of oxygen. Fitzroy wept. He flipped a few gears and the podium descended. Come on, he said. Let's see what Lenore will let me do with you. George lifted Cordelia and carried her from the box. Fitzroy lingered a moment, fiddling with his machines. The drug will wear off in 15 minutes, George whispered. Cordelia wanted to look at him, but she couldn't move her head. Pretend it's still working. Wait until you can get away. George turned and looked up the stairs. There was no sign of Fitzroy yet. He continued his descent. I tried to warn your father, but he was hell-bent on stopping her. He's dead. I'm... I'm sorry. Reaching the end of the stairs, he headed toward the auditorium doors. He entered the auditorium. The woman walked toward them. She wore a loosely tied red satin robe, and she cradled the device, the artifact, Cordelia presumed, in her arms. Hell of a show, my sweet Lenore, Fitzroy said as he joined them. Lenore kissed him fiercely. He slipped his hands into her robe, and they pressed into each other. Finally, she pulled back. Later, who's your prop? Fitzroy wiped his mouth. The pilot's daughter? Lenore laughed. I suppose you want to play with her until you get bored and then immortalize her in stone. If Lenore wanted to terrify Cordelia, she succeeded. Can I? They would make a nice collection. Lenore grunted. We just need mummy. Fine, but don't lose her soul. I hate specters. She stared off for a moment, her eyes distant. If only Ferdinand could see me now, that old fool. She turned back to Fitzroy. How much energy did I siphon? Enough for a thousand, maybe twelve thousand. I'm still perfecting the housing apparatus, but we can test them immediately. Lenore stroked his face as she surveyed the auditorium. 
Her eyes finally settled on Cordelia. She held the artifact under Cordelia's nose. It feeds off the soul, you see, off memories and passions and fears. The human entity, mind, body, spirit, is the ultimate power. Havelock is a damn fool. He'll never harness power like this. You would think that after a few hundred years, I would know something about power. But that damn impossible fool. Fitzroy took her elbow. The Phoenix Society will have to recognize us when we show them this, how we harness it to keep alive not just flesh, but machine. Lenore grabbed the front of Fitzroy's shirt with one hand and pounded his face with the artifact. She struck over and over again, reducing him to a gargling mass of broken flesh and bone. He dropped the body. Fitzroy lay on the ground, twitching. She wiped her hand on a woman in an aisle seat. George, she said, suddenly calm, put Charles backstage by the funnel lines. She looked at Cordelia, eyes narrowing, and put his whore with him. We need to wake the cattle and send them to pasture. Then we'll deal with her. Yes, Miss Lenore. Hours seemed to pass, but Cordelia knew it was just scant minutes. Wasn't it? The evening's events spilled together in her mind, forming a pool of congealed realities. Memories, visceral and true, assaulted her, but none of them were hers. An elderly man in overalls, Papa, standing over her with a rusty shovel in hand, spittle on his chin, murder in his eyes, a black woman twirling in a white dress, her eyes gleaming as she laughed and sang, a Christmas tree, a blaze in candlelight, meager gifts scattered under limping limbs. Cordelia blinked away tears. Stolen memories. She turned to the voice. George examined Fitzroy with clinical disinterest. Is he dead? George moved Fitzroy's head so Cordelia could see. She tried to look away. Having witnessed the carnage firsthand, she had no desire to revisit the evidence. Though motor control was returning, she couldn't fully turn, but it didn't matter. Fitzroy's wounds were healing so rapidly, she could see wounds closing. How? Energy from the soul, our very life force, leaks from the funnel lines. It can heal or keep you alive for... But it changes you. This kind of power is not meant for man. How old are you? Cordelia said. He blinked, looked at Fitzroy again. Not as old as Lenore. He always has that fucking grin on his face. He started to leave. Wait, is this life force... If life force is captured by the... By, by the... The source, is what we call it. Well, how does that affect all those people? Everyone's different. We think memories are weaved into our life force. Take a part of the soul, you take fragments of memory too. Some people still live for years. Others die within days. So, some of those people won't remember key events of their lives, important relationships, husbands, wives, children? It's not that simple. Look, we're building a better world. Everyone needs to chip in, contribute. He extended his arm to the stage behind her shoulder. They played their part. And how noble of you to decide on their behalf what part they would play. You people are monsters. George stared at the floor. Cordelia waited him out. Had she reached him? He certainly seemed more humane than Lenore and Fitzroy. But what had he sacrificed to be part of this? What sins had he committed? And was he so buried under past transgressions that the light of possibility no longer shone in his darkened existence? He'll wake up soon, George said. I gave you a smaller dose than I was supposed to, and I loosened your binds. Run, and never come back. He left before she could ask more questions. 
Cordelia could move her head and shoulders, and her fingers twitched, she thought, but it hardly seemed possible to mount any kind of offensive. Still, the drug was wearing off quickly. She wiggled her toes and extended her lower leg. The more she moved, the stronger she felt. She took in her surroundings for the first time. They were backstage. She could see the velvet curtain up to her left beyond a few stairs. There were mirrors on two walls and small tables in front of the mirrors. But what mattered most were the pipes, funnel lines, running along the wall, feeding into a dozen canisters in the corner. This theater was a giant collector of human energy. The source somehow drew the soul out, separating it from flesh. The funnels then collected the energy and directed the flow. Hello, sweetheart. Standing near the door in a leather coat and flying cap, goggles perched high on his head, metal bands gripping his elbows and biceps, jetpack still strapped to his shoulders. Her father smiled, body half translucent. Sorry to drag you into this. Cordelia's heart pounded so hard she thought her chest might burst. Of all things she could say, all the accusations she could levy, she managed a meager, breathless, Hi, I'm part of the theater now, I think. Tonight was the third show, but she captured me on opening night. He shrunk down, looked into her eyes. I had faulty information. I thought tonight was opening night, and I couldn't get word to you about the mistake. I just didn't want them to hurt anyone, so I tried to stop them myself. He waved a hand through his midsection. Displaced energy puffed like mist before recollecting into a semi-solid image. You can see how that went. Cordelia bit her lip, trying to stop the tears but the efforts didn't matter. She sobbed. He tried to hush her. I wish I could explain, but that son of a bitch is going to wake up soon. She wanted to demand so many things. Why now? Why had he chosen now to draw her back into his world? Why hadn't she been enough to keep him home? Why, why, why? She knew the answer to some of those questions because she was her father's daughter. He wanted more. And so did she. Are you in there? She nodded at the canisters. No, I'm certainly not alone either. We can't show ourselves often. Lenore controls the source and keeps us in limbo. But you're doing something to it. It senses you. I always knew you were special. But this is... He shook his head. Lenore is mad, Cordelia. I mean, truly mad. She's at least 400 years old based on my research. She picked up Fitzroy when she killed Amelia. I don't believe he's aged more than a few weeks since. Amelia? Princess Amelia, the poor sick creature. And she's here. Well, she's over there. She never leaves Fitzroy's side, though she swears she hates how much he's changed. Cordelia, consuming the soul of another brings consequences the likes of which I am only starting to grasp. Fitzroy moaned and hailed sharply and rolled onto his side. He started to snore. Time's up, her father said. Listen carefully. You need to take the source and head north through the woods. There's a carriage there and a driver. He'll wait an hour until sunrise. If you can't get there by then, he will assume you're dead. He'll take you to New York, and you must airship to England. The driver will give you the rest of your instructions, but Dr. Sound and the ministry must bury the source. They mustn't study it. It is an ancient magic beyond control, beyond science. Dr. Sound must hide it or no one can find it. Certainly not the Phoenix Society. She shook her head, emotion threatening to overwhelm her. She wanted adventure and excitement, but this? Dilly, you can do this. 
Dilly? Only Daddy called her that. Fresh tears blurred her vision. No time, sweetheart. I wish I could explain. He's going to wake up in ten seconds. You better kill him. His form dispersed, leaving the surrounding air chilled. Fitzroy said something under his breath. Cordelia pulled apart her binds with resurgent strength. Fitzroy blinked against the light. Cordelia stood, her knees buckled. She collapsed, but caught herself with stiff arms. Fitzroy rolled over. Drool dripped down his chin. Cordelia grabbed the chair she had been tied to. He saw her. His eyes widened. She raised the chair over her head and angled it down. He tried to roll away, but the chair smashed into his face. Blood spurted from his mouth and nose, but he lay awake, stunned. Cordelia stood and lifted the chair again. She caught his eye, that look of hateful resignation, just before the chair slammed home. Fitzroy lay dead. Again, Cordelia stared at him. She had taken a life. She was a murderer. No, he'll live again. He'll heal. But she couldn't know that. And even if it were true, she had struck with murder in her heart. Was she not guilty then? Was she really no better than Fitzroy and Lenore? If she lived until morning, she could devote her life to answering that question. For now, she had to find the source before Lenore discovered her escape, or before Fitzroy regenerated and came seeking revenge of his own. Finding the source had been the easy part. The hard part was figuring out how to pry it from Lenore's fingers. She clung to the artifact like a mother with a newborn child. She and George conversed in the now-empty auditorium. She turned and yelled, Charlie! Once she turned back to George, Cordelia snuck forward along the outer aisle. She was still a few rows closer to the stage when Lenore spun again, full rage threatening to shake the woman apart. Charlie, get out here or I'll never release that princess. Giving up, Lenore marched. Put it down, Cordelia pleaded. Please just put it down. Amazingly, Lenore did just that. She secured the source in the housing pyre at center stage. After adjusting a few knobs and gears, she went backstage, her mouth spewing fresh curses. Cordelia sprinted for the stage, her left leg still dragging a bit. She was out of breath before she even rounded the aisle. Must be another effect from the drug. She tried to jump, but instead slammed stomach first into the platform. Lenore shrieked, and the entire theater trembled. Cordelia rolled onto the stage and grabbed the source, but it was stuck. Precious seconds passed as she disengaged clamps. The source came free, but Lenore was back. The theater settled, no longer enslaved to Lenore's rage. She knew it was too late, but Cordelia ran anyway. She flew through the air and actually kept her balance upon landing. George re-entered the auditorium, blocking her path. She whirled. Lenore stepped off the stage and clapped. Your soul will sustain me for months all by itself. Such determination, such passion. Lenore looked past her to George. I thought we were past this. Some people deserve better. George said. This woman has a unique energy. She's meant for more than this. I decide how the source is used and who fuels it. Even Havelock knows that. Only because he doesn't understand what the source can do. If he knew he could power a million mechamen with it, he'll know soon enough I'll make the House of Usher look like a preschool. The society will have no choice but to accept my ultimate authority. I can see, Cordelia said, that you two have much to discuss. I'll just be leaving. Lenore laughed. I do like this one. Pity. George, break her neck. Before George could move, the source exploded with light. Cordelia tried to throw it away, but the artifact was stuck to her hands. It grew hotter and hotter, melting into her skin. She screamed, 
flung her arms wildly, but to no avail. Then it started to sing. Her father materialized beside her. Thousands of ghosts now filled every seat and clogged every aisle. What are you doing? Lenore shrieked. What is she doing? George! She kept screaming, but her voice faded. Lenore knows only death, her father said. The source is so much more. It's singing, Cordelia said. Her hands were still fused to it, but she felt no pain. I've heard that song many times. Many of us are trapped inside. Very few souls actually escape into the pipes. Escape? Of course. In there, he pointed to the source. We live forever, millions of us, trapped with nothing but our thoughts and memories. Well, it's not that bad. We can share those memories. It's like living a million lives, experiencing everything humanity has to offer. But when she uses the energy, the soul is destroyed. He shrugged. Even that is not essentially true, but the soul changes beyond recognition. Now, go, Cordelia. How can I get away? He opened his arms. We are your army. Lenore wants souls. She's going to have them. The energy will keep her alive for a thousand years, but massive consumption will incapacitate her for months. Tell Dr. Sound. She'll be back. She'll never stop. He looked over her shoulder. George, will you burn this place down as we discussed? George nodded. Make sure you get clear. No, sir. They looked at each other a moment, and her father finally nodded. I understand. Cordelia, I love you. He turned and flew. The other phantoms parted as one, clearing a path to Lenore. She seethed as she started toward Cordelia. She only made it a few steps. Father dove headfirst into Lenore's chest. Light exploded and her eyes burst with flame, her mouth agape in silent shriek. The energy is unfiltered, George said. That must hurt like hell. He nodded toward the door, but Cordelia watched another moment. Ghost after ghost took their turn, and Lenore was quite the spectacle an amorphous orgasm of free-flowing energy. George led her into the foyer, and she gasped as a hundred statues filled the room. Oil, George said. The statues dispersed, each carrying jugs. One statue had fallen and shattered, but recognizable chunks remained, including a minigun. More statues collapsed and crumbled. The theater was consuming itself as Lenore engorged on the dead. You can leave now, George said. Cordelia ran north through the woods. Eventually, an explosion rocked the backcountry. She watched flames like the stars. The source clutched to her breast, sang sweetly. Sean Farrell is the creator and producer of the Parsec Award-winning Adventures in Sci-Fi Publishing podcast, which can be found at adventuresinsci-fi-publishing.com. His non-fiction has appeared in Clark's World, Strange Horizons, and at Gateworld.net. And he has various short stories slated for publication in 2013. When not telling tales or editing audio, Sean sells real estate in Northern California and builds countless blanket forts with his children. He would like to thank Agents Braun and Wellington for the opportunity to research the case of Lenore's spectacle, and he hopes his report meets the high standards established by their credentialed and prolific staff. Once taken with the theatre, Sean has decided to recreate with books and long walks in the park until the day comes when he can once again view a stage without shuddering uncontrollably. All questions regarding this case can be directed to publishing at gmail.com with permission from the Ministry, of course. 
theme music composed and performed by Alex White. Find out more at thegearheart.com. For more from the Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences, order your copy of The Janus Affair, a Ministry of Peculiar Occurrences novel, from your favorite bookstore, or online from Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, the iBookstore, or the Science Fiction Book Club. This podcast is protected by the Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, share-alike 3.0 license. For more information, visit creativecommons.org. Tales from the Archives. And Imagine That Studios, Koru Studios, Harper Voyager Production. I'm T. Morris. And I'm Philippa Ballantyne. Thank, Thank you, you for, for listening. listening.